Well, I gathered a few items together today. Um, if you've ever been through a tornado or a storm, then you're probably familiar with at least the recommendation for this. This is, this is not as much as you would need, but these are the basic supplies recommended for a tornado prep kit. Does anybody have one of these at home? Some, yeah. It's been that many years ago. Some tornadoes swept through here. And so they recommend a few items. This actually is uh, from Missouri stormaware.gov. They had some really bad storms go through a few years back, and uh, they released some, some recommendations, a list of supplies that you would need. And so I just got a few things together. One of the things they recommend is a battery-powered radio. So if the, now this one is, has a few years on it, but it still works great. I borrowed it from uh, Melody. Melody supplied that for me because I couldn't find one at home. So we obviously don't have our storm prepared prep kit at home. But, uh, you know, if the power goes out, you still want to get weather reports. You got to have a battery-powered radio, right? Uh, a couple of other supplies they recommend. Plenty of water. I just put one bottle in here. They say, you know, water for three or four days, I think, for however many members of your family you have. So we would need probably, we would probably fill up our storm shelter with water with all of our kids. But water is one thing they say. You need a flashlight, um, which is, again, the power goes out. But something you might not think about is make sure you've got extra batteries for the flashlight, okay, because the battery's going to run out. So you've got to have batteries, flashlight. Uh, if you take any medications, have maybe extra prescription meds available or at least have them easy to get to so you can take them into the storm shelter with you or, or they'll be easy to get to. Another recommendation was canned goods and uh, had some cranberry sauce I guess left over from Thanksgiving. This was the only thing that I saw in the cabinet that you wouldn't have to cook. Um, so they, but they do recommend something you don't need to cook because you may not have the means to cook it. But what do you need if you have a can? Got to have a can opener. So don't forget the can opener because this isn't going to do you any good if you get in the in the storm shelter, you don't have a can opener, so make sure you have a can opener. Another thing they mentioned was dried food, all right? So I've got some, some banana chips here. Uh, they'll last a while. Anything, any non-perishable foods that you can find that will last you for at least a couple of days and to have enough food for a couple of days. Obviously, this isn't enough, but you get the idea, right? What's the whole point in the storm prep kit? To be prepared, right? To be prepared. And this MissouriStormAware.gov has kind of coined the phrase being storm aware. And it's the idea that if that day comes, that you've done what you need to do to be prepared for that day. That you're aware that it's a possibility, not obsessed with it. Some people can get obsessed to the point to the, where they live in fear. That's not the point. But you're aware, hey, this is a possibility, so I'm putting together what I need to be prepared for if that day comes. Well, this is important. Being storm aware is important, but I want to talk about a different type of awareness over the next few weeks that is far more important. We're going to talk about being end times aware. 
not end times obsessed, okay, because the same thing, you can become so obsessed with the end times, when it's going to happen, predicting the dates, lining up all the prophecies to where that's all you think about, and either it's your main focus or the fact that it, could, that it will happen cripples you in fear to where you're ineffective for the kingdom of God. We're not talking about being end times obsessed, but we do need to be end times aware because if we view it properly, it will motivate us to be properly prepared, not if, but when Christ returns. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. This is going to be a four-week series, and we're going to look at what it means to be prepared. And here's our theme for the series. End times, be encouraged and live with expectation. Uh, you know, The end times, while certainly the events that that are going to happen are frightening, concerning. We as followers of Christ should be encouraged by what we know about the end times. And it should motivate us to live with expectation. Let's look at it this way. God has given us information, the information that we need to be prepared for Christ's return and to live faithfully while we wait for his return. Today, we're going to look at the flood in Genesis chapter 6 through 8. God destroyed the earth because of the sinfulness of man. If you're familiar with the story, you know what happened. Uh, The world, uh, man had become so corrupt, uh, so bent over in sin that God decided to destroy the world. And the Bible warns many times that toward the end of history, as we know it, there are going to, there's going to be a return to pre-flood conditions, the sinfulness of man, wickedness. And Jesus even referred to this in Matthew 24, where he connected the dots, comparing the last days leading up to his return to what was happening in Noah's day. And that's why we're looking at this. We're going to connect the dots, okay? And we're going to learn some lessons uh, from Noah. A lot of people today are asking, are we in the last days? Right? You've probably heard that question. That's why we're in this series. I've heard that question at, at many points throughout my life. But, you know, the condition of the world, uh, the, the economy, our country, all of these things, the, the unrest around the world, socially, politically. Um, I mean, you just heard Mike share some things that are going on in Haiti. And, and people are asking, are, are we in the last days? Well, truth is, I don't know for sure, all right? None of us do. None of us can say for sure if we are, in fact, in the last days. I mean, it could be a hundred, it could be a few days from now, a hundred days from now, a hundred years from now. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that there are many indications that we could very well be living in the end times, in the last days. And so we are warned in the Bible that we are, if whether we're actually in the last days or not, that we should be prepared for the last days and live as if we were in the last days. We should always be alert, be prepared, be faithful, doing what we know we should be doing and what God has commanded us to do. So, you know, whether we can put a date on it or not, many people have tried and many people have failed. No one knows but God the Father. Whether we can put a date on it or not, that's not the point. The point is we know what's coming. We don't know exactly when, but we do know what's coming, and we know for certain what we should be doing 
while we approach those days. And so we're going to look today again at the story of Noah and learn some lessons about how to be prepared. The ark was God's perfect provision for Noah and his family. Jesus is God's perfect provision for you and me, for his family. The ark is a picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. There's a huge contrast. If you go back to the first few chapters of Genesis, you see a huge contrast between Noah and between Lot, for example. Uh, and, and I'll explain what I'm talking about here. There's a huge contrast. And, and, and what we see is we see that Noah built an ark and points, as we'll see today, to salvation. Lot, on the other hand, put up a tent and pointed men to Sodom, to a city of wickedness. Noah's obedience turned his entire family toward God. And there's no greater joy than that. We see that in Proverbs 20, verse 7. A righteous person acts with integrity. His children who come after him will be happy. 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than this than to hear my children are walking in the truth. There's no greater joy for a father or a mother than for their children to follow Christ, to obey the Lord. On the contrary, so Noah did that for his family. But Lot, on the other hand, his choices caused him to lose influence in his own family. Genesis 19 verse 14, Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were going to marry his daughters. Get up, he said. Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. And what did they do? His sons-in-law thought he was joking. They laughed at him. Thought he couldn't be taken seriously. It ruined his reputation with them. So the question for us before we dig in here is, are we going to be a Noah or are we going to be a Lot? Are we going to live faithfully, pointing our family and other people toward Jesus and being prepared for his return? Or... Are we going to live like the world and, and, and allow ourselves to be conformed to the world to where the world can't tell any difference between us and those who are lost? There's the question. So turn to your, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7 as we get into the story of Noah and how we can learn from Noah this morning. We're going to see the first invitation in the Bible in Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. The Lord said to Noah, enter the ark and all you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. You are to take with you seven pairs, a male and its female, of all the clean animals and two of the animals that are not clean, a male and its female, and seven pairs, male and female, of the birds of the sky in order to keep offspring alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will make it rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing I have made I will wipe off the face of the earth. And Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood came and water covered the earth. So Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives entered the ark because of the flood waters. Then look down at verse 16. Those that entered, male and female of every creature, entered just as God commanded him, and then the Lord shut them in, shut him in. Over 600 times in the Bible, we see an invitation to come to God. Here, all the way up to Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Both the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. 
Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. Living water. John MacArthur said this is an unlimited offer of grace and salvation to all who desire to have their thirsty souls quenched. Living water. That phrase is important. It symbolizes the continued flow of eternal life from God's throne. It's just what it is. It's eternal life. Living water. And if we choose to drink of living water, if we choose to follow Christ, then we are safe and secure and protected. God's invitation to all men is to receive eternal life. And he draws people to himself. Now before we get into our our text, our outline, I want to look at three quickly, three ways God draws people to himself. Because we see this throughout scripture. One is, of course, the Word of God, His Word, the Bible. God draws people to Himself through His Word. Romans ten seventeen. so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes from the message about Christ. This is God's revelation of Himself to man. And it is Him speaking. It is alive. It is active. And so He speaks to men through His Word and uses it to draw people to Himself. It's him speaking to us. He also draws people to himself through his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. John 16, verse 8, when he comes, the Spirit, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. And then verse 15 of the same chapter, uh, John chapter 16 Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and he will declare it to you. The Holy Spirit. So God speaks through his word. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. And his word, through his word together, he uses the word of God and his spirit, the spirit of God, to draw men to himself. But that's not all. And this is important. God also uses people. He uses his people. The child of God, the Christian, the follower of Christ. He uses followers of Christ, his followers, to draw people to himself. And this is one of the great mysteries of God. He doesn't need to use us, but he chooses to use us. And we see that. We see that in Scripture, and we are called to be that. We are called to be his ambassadors, to be used by him, to draw other people to him. We don't save anybody. We can't save anybody. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. God calls people to himself, but he uses us as instruments. He allows us to be a part of that process. And that's a blessing and a privilege, but it is also a great responsibility that we all have. But he uses believers. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, it's him making the appeal, but he does it through people. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The invitation is clear. It is simple. It is Jesus saying, come to me. The invitation is to come to Christ, and it's open, this invitation, until the day of Christ's return. It is open until then. The invitation is available for anybody, but the question still is out there. Is the end near? Are we near the end times? Are we in the end times? Well, since we don't know for sure, and we've already established that, I've been perfectly honest with you, I don't know for sure 
And since we don't know that, we need to know what to look for, which we do know what to look for. And in looking for that, we need to know what to do. I can't tell you if we're in the end times, when it will be. But I do know what to look for, and I do know what we should be doing, because that is spelled out very clearly in Scripture. So that is what we are going to look at, what we need to do, what we need to know to be prepared for the return of Christ. Noah provides us with this example, looking at these chapters, 6 through 8 of Genesis chapter, or the book of Genesis. We see from his example, connecting the dots, how he responded to God, how he obeyed God, we can learn from his example what we should do to be prepared for his return. So what do we learn from Noah? What do we need to do while we wait? Well, first, we need to accept God's invitation as we anticipate his return. If you haven't already, accept God's invitation while you anticipate his return. It's a divine invitation. We see that. And, and the story of Noah, God invited Noah to obey him and to be protected by him. This is holy God, and, and again, one of the great mysteries of God, because he didn't have to do this. Man chose to sin and go his own way. God could have left us in sin and been justified in doing so. But we see holy God inviting sinful people to be in relationship with him. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So going back to Noah, before the flood ever came, God had ordained that Noah and his family would be saved in that ark. It was God's plan. God told Noah to build it before a single drop of water ever fell. Now think about this. In a very similar way, salvation through Jesus Christ was not something that God just thought of after man sinned. God knows everything. He's sovereign. He's provident. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. So he knew man was going to sin before he ever created man. So God had a plan in place for the salvation of man before man was ever created, certainly before man ever sinned. This was God's plan beforehand. He already had that plan. The ark was God's provision for the salvation of Noah, just as Jesus is God's provision for the salvation of man. God knew what was going to have to happen, yet he created us anyway. And that just shows the extravagant grace of God, the love of God, and the mercy of God all wrapped up together, as far as I'm concerned. He provided, and it's, you know, the, Jesus was God's provision for, for the salvation of man, for sinners, and it's been on his mind from the foundation of the world. He, he planned this far in advance, and it's a truth, that, it's in this truth that we see a couple of things about God. We see the unwavering commitment of God the Father, the fact that he provided and had this plan before he created Chapter 7, verse 1 of Genesis, God says, Noah, come into the ark. It's a personal invitation. Now, if he said, go into the ark, that would be different. 
I think the language is intentional here. Because if he said go into the ark, it would imply that Noah and his family were going away from God. But no, he says come into the ark. Which implies that God would be in there with them. That he would be with them throughout the entire flood. That he would continue to be with them. That he would not leave them. It's a personal invitation for Noah and his family to come and be with God and experience God's protection. We also see the unwavering commitment to family in this. Uh, God's commitment to family, but also Noah's commitment to his family. Continuing verse 1, he says, Come into the ark, you and your whole household. God gives Noah here the spiritual responsibility for his family. In Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas lead the jailer to the Lord. And then they tell him that by his influence and witness, he would lead his family to the Lord. The jailer would lead his entire family to the Lord. And that's why Paul and Silas say to him in Acts 16, 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Not that they are saved by proxy or whatever. It's that if you are saved, your influence, by your influence, your household will follow Christ as well. It is, speaks to the spiritual leadership that is given to the man, to the father in the family. We see that from Noah's day. We see it throughout Scripture. The influence of the father and what he can have, that influence on his family. Um, to lead them to Christ. We see also a divine observation by God of Noah here. And again, verse 1, I have seen that you alone are righteous before me. Noah's righteousness was evident. Now, I've used this before, but I'm going to use it again because it's such a great, I think it's a great illustration. You can be the judge, but... Um, Y'all know how I love balloons. I've got a couple of balloons here, and I'm going to blow one up and leave one not blown up, okay? I'll take a beat so I don't pass out. But there's two different, two different balloons, two very different shapes, right? Now think about that for a moment. Some of you haven't seen this. Some of you have. Hopefully we'll all learn something. There's, there's an incredible difference here. Now think about what I can do with this balloon versus this balloon. This balloon, for example, it's flat. I can put it in my pocket. And had you not seen it, you would never know it was there, right? But I can't do that with this balloon. It's too big. It's too evident. It's very noticeable, right? There's no way. I mean, you could hide this, but it would be very difficult to hide. Well, that's the way we should be in the world. Noah was this way. Everybody that knew Noah, Noah he knew he was a righteous man, knew he loved God, knew he served God, he obeyed God. It was no mistake in that. And, and, and as a result, Noah and his family were a lot better off because of it. Another thing about these balloons is, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do with this balloon. I could tie this off, and I, I'm not going to do it because this was it's all that would happen the rest of the service, but I could knock this out in the Congress. We could, we could kill 15 minutes playing with this thing, right? Just knocking it around. Balloons are fun. When you see balloons, it puts you in a good mood, right? Knowing his family, because of his obedience, his life wasn't easy. He went through the flood. He was probably ridiculed, was ridiculed for sure by other people, but he had joy, and he had 
satisfaction of knowing that he was safe, his family was safe, and, and also that he pleased God. Okay? And, and so the, the point is that he was noticeably a follower of God and that he had joy and he had safety and he had security because he was a follower of God. But you know, even if you couldn't see this balloon, right? Even if you didn't know that it was here, it doesn't mean that the, the balloon doesn't exist, right? I mean, the balloon, balloons exist. We know balloons exist. There, there are balloons here on the table. I've got a whole bag in the back that exists, okay? And, and here's the point. Yes, it's important that we see, that other people see our righteousness. And other people did see Noah's righteousness. But the most important thing is that even if no one else had seen it, and many people didn't care, they didn't pay attention to it, God did. God saw it. And, you know, I can pretend to be righteous. I can do all the things necessary to appear to be righteous. But God truly knows whether or not I'm righteous. Now, I'm going to try to let this out without making noise. It's not too bad. No. Would you rather it be like this? Is that better? Sorry. My middle school child coming out, I guess. Righteousness is so very important for so many, many different reasons, but... You know, God never intends for us to hide our faith. He never intends for us to just go with the flow and just blend in. He intends for us to stand out, if for no other reason, to draw people to himself, to use us as his ambassadors. He wants our faith to be seen, and Noah's righteous. That word righteous, it was a legal concept. The righteous man was one who got the verdict of acceptability when he was tried at the bar of justice. Hear God's justice. Okay, righteous means to be straight, to be upright. Think about it this way. Noah was standing upright while everybody else around him was bent over in sin. I mean, Noah's, Noah stood above the fray because he was righteous. He was holy. Now look back at Genesis 6, 5. We were in chapter 7. Look back at chapter 6, verse 5. Read a few verses there. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Noah, however, found favor with God. Everybody else around him is wicked, bent over in sin, but Noah found favor with God. And he's a model for us. He should inspire us. His example should provide inspiration for holy living. We have joy. Because we know Christ, he saved us from sin, we've been set free from sin, so we should live like we've been set free from sin. We have the ability now, because he gives us the ability to live for him, to live holy lives, we should live holy lives, lives of obedience. So it's an incentive for holy living. It's inspiration and incentive. Matthew 10, 42, and whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a, dis- a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. We are inspired to live holy, but we still have to make the decision. Right? He empowers us, he gives us the strength, but we have to appropriate it. We have to use his strength from day to day. And the thought that our lives can be a pleasure to God should be the greatest incentive there is. The fact that we can please God with the way that we live should be great incentive. 
But there's an obligation that we have, a divine obligation. That phrase, righteous before me, in chapter 7, verse 1, God's opinion is really all that matters. You'll please men sometimes, sometimes you won't, but at the end of the day, God's opinion is all that really matters. Genesis 6, again, chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. He was blameless, which means a man or a woman of integrity. It doesn't mean perfect, but it means complete. It means that a complete person, we are complete in the sense that we strive every day in our lives to become more like God, more like Christ. And that each and every day, we are progressing in that. That we are becoming more like Christ. And Noah, God could see Noah's heart, and he saw purity. He saw righteousness. He saw a heart willing to obey. And so Noah found favor with God, and he walked with God. Which again, being who he was, when he was, the whole world is, is wicked, he still found favor with God and had a relationship with God. And this sums up everything that God demands of all of us. Philippians 3.9, Paul says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law. It's not our righteousness, it's his. One that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. Noah had faith. God saw that. He knew that. And so, as a result, he found favor with God. And then we see God's approval on Noah. Continuing verse 1, God tells Noah, you are righteous before me in this generation. You know, we should all want to hear that from God. And we should all want that to be our legacy in this life. That we were righteous, found favor, we were righteous before God, and it was evident in the generation that we live in that we were righteous, that we were followers of Christ, we were obedient, and we were faithful. Hebrews 11, verse 7, reinforces this. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. That's Noah's legacy righteousness before God and before the people of his day. Second, in order to be prepared, we're talking about being prepared. In order to be prepared, we need to share the gospel as we anticipate Christ's return. We need to share the gospel. And this involves urgency, urgent instructions. Look at verse 4. Seven days from now, it says, chapter 7, verse 4 of Genesis have you ever thought about Noah's last sermons in those last day days? Well, I bet you they were urgent. There was a sense of urgency there, a fervor in his messages, intensity in those messages. God promised ultimate destruction when he said this. He said, I will wipe off from the face of the earth every living thing I have made. People were going to die. People were going to perish. And the Lord, in the same way, the return of Christ should motivate us to share the gospel. He's given all of us, all of us who are his followers, a calling, a responsibility to share the gospel, whether you're a preacher or not, to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with intensity, fervor, with enthusiasm, with the, and with a sense of urgency. Because as we've already established, we don't know when he's going to return. I can't tell you that. 
None of us do. And so we can debate days and times and whether it is or not the end times. We can talk about signs and prophecies and all those things are important. But we can either get lost in those things or we can use the fact that we know he's going to return and we don't know when as motivation to share the gospel with those who are lost. Because all the things we don't know, we know the Great Commission, don't we? We know we are called to share the gospel. And we should do it with intensity. We should do it with urgency. God is going to destroy the world again. That's not a question. We know that's going to happen. He's not going to do it by flood, but he's going to do it again. People are going to perish. And there's only one way to be saved from this destruction. And it's the basis of all of our preaching and all of our teaching in the Christian faith. John chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he He has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Put simple, share the gospel. If we want to be prepared for the return of Christ, we should be busy sharing the gospel. Third, to be prepared, we need to follow God's instructions as we anticipate his return. Yes, there is the obvious instruction to share the gospel, but there's other things he tells us to do. And there are going to be many things that he tells you to do specifically, me to do specifically in my life. And he gave specific instructions to Noah. While Noah was waiting for the flood, there were specific instructions. Chapter 7, verse 5 of Genesis. Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. Now, Noah was in agreement with God. that He believed God. He believed that he needed to do what God said. And as a result, he believed that God was God. And so he did what God told him to do. That's obedience. He was faithful to the task. He built the ark. Which, you know, we, as children, we hear the story, sing the song, and it's, you know, it takes all of about five minutes to maybe sing the song, you know, 15, 20 minutes to tell the story or whatever. But, but think about, Noah built the ark. That was an incredible task that he had in front of him. It's pretty incredible when you consider what God was asking him to do. Chapter 6, again, verses 14 through 16, God said, make yourself an ark. Of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and outside. This is how long you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Pretty big, huh? You are to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the the side of the ark, make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. And all of this is important. Noah couldn't skip any steps here. He couldn't take any shortcuts. Okay, you know, one of the things we learned renovating this building is that that city code is strict. And there are certain things we had to do, whether we understood it or or agreed with it or not. There were things we had to do if we wanted to pass inspection. And, And Huntsville City can be pretty strict with their inspections. Well, nobody's inspection is more strict than God's inspection when he's looking at our lives to determine whether or not we've obeyed him or not. 
And certainly here, God had intent in every instruction that he gave Noah. And, and Noah had to obey completely in order for he, he and his family to be completely safe during this storm. And Noah did it all. Then he had, he had to build the thing. Then he had to bring all these animals. And I know God lined them up and he brought them in. But still, that's a lot of work to, to get them in the ark and then to take care of them. And then, on top of all that, he had to endure the flood. Forty days, forty nights in that ark with his family. We just took a trip out west. We didn't even drive. And there were times in the car where I was about ready to kick my kids out of the car. Right? Forty days and forty nights. I know it's a big ark, but still, all those animals took up a lot of room. The enduring rain. It rains three or four days. We could use some rain right now. If it rains for three or four days straight, we'll be complaining about the rain because everybody's going to be depressed and all that, right? He endured all of that, the living conditions inside the ark. But Noah was faithful. He followed God's instructions. He finished the task, not just the building of the ark, but the entire process, the entire experience. And if we are going to be prepared, then we have to obey God and we have to follow his instructions Every instruction, continuously, every day. And we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. Remember, blameless doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we're complete in the sense that we're growing in this process, becoming more like Christ. But we obey him. We follow his instructions. We do things his way. If we're going to be found faithful, we have to. And finally, if you're going to be prepared, you have to endure in his strength. The reason Noah was able to endure, I'm giving him a lot of credit, and he deserves a lot of credit for his obedience, but the reason he was able to endure is because God gave him strength to endure. And he, he trusted God and allowed God to work through him. We have to endure in God's strength. Again, Noah's obedience. His obedience led to salvation for his family. You know, the ark only had one door in it, and that's intentional. That's important. They all, every one of them, he, his family, the animals, they all had to go through that door to be saved. And this, again, God's intentional in every part of Scripture. This is a picture of salvation. There's only one door that man can enter through to be saved. And that door is Jesus Christ himself. There aren't many doors. You can't get in through an open window somewhere. One door. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 10. If we're going to find security, if we're going to find safety, if we're going to find salvation, it's through Christ. Jesus said, John 10, 1, I assure you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen through the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. What's the, or who is the door? Jesus said in verse, John 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will come in and go out and find pasture. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He's the door. He's the only way to salvation, safety, security. In Christ, we find a place of security. With all the confusion and all of the disruption and all the uncertainty that we live in, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, we can find security in Christ. We can feel secure. We can know we are secure in Christ because we know we have protection from the coming judgment that this world will face. Those in the ark represent those today who are sheltered from the wrath of God because they are in Christ. As Noah was in the ark, he was sheltered from the wrath of God that everyone else experienced. 
It's a place of safety. It's also a place of sufficiency. You can only fit so much in your storm kit. But Christ is sufficient. His grace is sufficient for all circumstances. He provides. Noah had everything that he needed in that ark to survive. He and his family. All the animals. In Christ, we have everything that we need for this life and for all of eternity. We have provision for the coming judgment. There's security day today. There's provision for the future. Colossians 3, 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Now look again at Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and outside. That word pitch is important. It's also translated in the Old Testament atonement. We see that in the New Testament, right? Every word's intentional. It means to make a cover. And those who are in Christ are covered by the blood of Christ. Our sins are cleansed. We're forgiven. We're protected by the salvation that he provides. Now the ark protected Noah and his family from the wrath of God. The ark took the wrath. The waters, the rain, while Noah and his family were safe inside. Which again is a beautiful picture Of what Jesus does for us. For those of us who are in Christ. Jesus took on God's wrath on the cross. He took on our sin. He suffered God's wrath. So that we wouldn't have to. If we are in Christ. Just as Noah and his family were safe inside the ark. Protected from God's wrath. For those of us who are in Christ. We are protected from the wrath of God. Because he took it for us. So if we accept the invitation we are safe. Noah led the way. He led his family into the ark. He represents the father's provision for the family. And this is the pattern of his family. Genesis chapter 5, 22 through 24. After he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. And he fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted about 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was not here because God took him. So we have Enoch, Methuselah. Lamech and Noah, and they were all known for righteousness. Generation after generation after generation. And Noah led the way for his family. Generations to come. And his outcome we see in verse 16. Those that entered, male and female of every creature, entered just as God had commanded him. Then the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. Noah and his family did not Hear this, if you're worried about the world, if you're worried about the future, you don't need to because you don't have to protect yourself. Noah did not have to protect himself or his family. God protected them. God closed the door. God sealed it. God came up with the specifications for the ark that they would find shelter in. God provided safety for them. And those of us who are hidden in Christ, Colossians 3.3, our lives are hidden in Christ. We find safety in Christ Jesus. And, and this is, that, that door wouldn't be opened until God opened it. And they would be protected. God would not leave them because he promised to protect them. And if God has saved you, you are saved and you cannot lose that. You cannot lose your salvation. Once Noah was in the ark... God himself shut him in, and once we have entered Christ, we are kept by the power of God, which means we can't make ourselves outside of God's protection. We can't remove that. We, can't, we didn't earn salvation. We didn't save ourselves, so we can't make ourselves unsaved. And that should not 
give us an excuse to sin more because we know we're secure. It should motivate us to continue in obedience just as Noah did. You know, there are a lot of things, a lot of places, a lot of people look to for security. And I just want to finish with this, all right? I found this list on uh, a Domain Real Estate and Properties website. I've had it for a little while, but it's the top five, I think, top six, I'm sorry, security systems, if you've got money to spend on it, okay? The lowest I saw on this list, this was number one on the list, and it's the lowest, is called the Burglar Blaster. It's only $780, and here's what it is. You can put it in your home. Somebody walks in that's not supposed to be there, but I can see how this would go really bad, and you'll see in a minute. It's a motion-triggered pepper spray. Here's the deal. If it's triggered, it will not shut off. With it, or if it's not shut off within 40 second, it, seconds, it can fill a 185 square meter space with choking, burning, and searing gas. I can just see my dog setting this off on accident. <laughs> so I'm not choosing the burger. But some people, burglar blasters, some people want it, okay? Here's one that I thought was pretty cool. You can actually install secret passageways in your home. Some people, just like in the movies, right? Behind bookcases, bookshelves. Uh, There's a company called Creative Home Engineering that builds secret passageways for clients. And it ranges from a mirror that hides a safe to an actual bookcase, you know, where you've got a safe room or something behind it or a passageway to escape your house if there's danger. People actually do that. You, if you're worried about, you know, getting shot, people shooting at your house, you can buy bullet-resistant doors, They only cost $520,000 a piece. The way prices are at Lowe's, a regular door costs not much below that. If you need to make a quick escape, you can build a heliport on your property. To build the heliport, it's between $78,000 and $130,000. Of course, you do have to have a helicopter to use it. But I figure, you know, if you've got the money to do that. Here's one I like, the RoboVault storage. This is a high-end storage facility in Florida. People, it's for the wealthy, as you'll see. There are people store things like Lamborghinis, Picassos, in this high-end security, high security. It's like a storage unit on steroids, okay? I mean, it's like high security, more than just a padlock on the door, right? But they, one, of the, one of the people that works at this place said that she had actually seen pallets of Mongolian dinosaur bones. I mean, that's something you don't see every day, right? But that's the type of stuff, high-end, rare stuff. So you could get yourself a storage facility there. Last but not least is a survival bunker that will cost you $2.6 million. So maybe you're going to escape Armageddon by buying one of these bunkers. They are built in abandoned missile silos in Kansas. But hey, you'll be comfortable there because these places have things like a community swimming pool all underground, community swimming pools, dog walking parks, rock climbing walls. You might want to do some rock climbing while you're escaping the end of the world. A theater, a general store, an aquaponic farm. I don't even know what that is. Some of you may. All of this underground, you can live in luxury while the world's coming apart. 
You know, people go to great lengths to find security, don't they? To at least have the sense that they are secure. You can buy some security. Those people can buy things I can't. Maybe have security that I don't. But there's no, you know, there's fear that drives this. But there's no greater security than being sealed by God, than being covered by Christ, than being protected by Him. You can't buy that kind of security, but you can receive it by accepting God's invitation just like Noah did, just like the great men and women of faith all have. If you don't know Christ, He invites you to come. Revelation 3, 7 says, Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. There's no greater security than in Christ, but there's also no greater fear than for Christ to return and you not to have that covering, that security. So the invitation is right now, come to Christ while the, he's our ark, come to Christ while the door is still open, if you don't know Jesus. If you are in him, live for him, obey him while you still have the opportunity to follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your protection and your security that you provide through your son Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your blood that covers our sins for your sacrifice, for taking on God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to experience it. But we know that while the invitation is available to all to come to you, it has to be accepted. We have to accept it. You won't force it on us. And I pray that if there's anyone here today or watching online who hasn't accepted that invitation, who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that that right now in this moment, Lord, I pray that you would bring them under conviction, that Holy Spirit, you would draw them to yourself through your word, through the words that are being spoken. Use that to draw men and women to yourself. And I pray that those who are being called, that they would respond, that while the door is still open, that they would accept your invitation to come, to come inside, to be a part of your family. For those of us who know you, I pray that this would be motivation. The events of the world, the day would be motivation. Your call to us to obey would be motivation. Your grace, your mercy, your love would be motivation for us to serve you faithfully, to share the good news of salvation with urgency, with conviction, with enthusiasm. I pray that we would be found faithful that we would, be, we would find favor with you because of our faith, because of the righteousness that you've given us. Lord, may we be your obedient children, doing what you've called us to do until the day that you return. Faithfulness, just as you are faithful. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?